welcome everyone uh today's future of fintech we're going to cover payfact which actually to be honest i did not know what payfact stood for but i learned all about it in preparation for this so maybe we can cover <laughs> that too three great guests uh peter berg who is currently a vp at very good security but previously spent seven years at visa most recently as head of visa ventures uh with caleb avery from taud uh they do payfact as a service so he probably knows the most about payfact they've raised 11 million in the series a and matthew janiga who is currently at lithic they do kind of account processing software service probably not saying it right matt uh he was previously at stripe and square as uh council and obviously shield and me shield is a fintech investor at btv and i'm the founder of mercury.com what is payfact and like yeah you know, for people who are not like super fintechy and don't don't know all of these terms like the back of the hand so payfact stands for payment facilitator uh which is a new term relatively speaking it used to be called payment service provider or psp and before that if you can believe it it was ipsp or internet payment service provider but yeah payment facilitators so in the traditional model of accepting card payments like to accept payments you would as a merchant typically sign up with a bank and then that bank would provide you merchant services or acquiring services right like to acquire card payments uh and then along came a shift in how that was done basically a payment facilitator has the ability to aggregate submerchants so many different merchants uh and then kind of be the master merchant who has the relationship with the acquiring bank and enable a whole bunch of different submergents to flourish right and to accept payments so instead of like the one to one like every merchant needs to have to get stood up individually the payment facilitator actually allows you to have a one to many so a good example that one maybe a lot of people are familiar with is square right they were among the first to do this on the offline world they basically sign you know they've signed up tons of merchants and square acts as like that master merchant and is the payment facilitator or the payfac for all of the squares submergents. So when Stripe and Square and I guess PayPal started this were they just kind of breaking the rules or were they kind of following some sort of gray uh line? Yeah, that's a good question. So as with most interesting things in payments or at least many interesting things in payments, it usually starts out as breaking rules. <laughs> at least rules as the incumbents see them and then uh you know, envelopes get pushed, rules get broken, conversations are had and then either <laughs> one of two things happens you get shut down <laughs> or if people are more a little forward thinking rules get changed and that's uh oftentimes what passes for innovation in the payments arena is like oh we changed the rule hooray now everyone can flourish um, but that's, that's kind of what happened here if we go i think all the way back to this ancient company called PayPal <laughs> which feels ancient these days but basically like PayPal started doing like this aggregation of merchants on eBay right for for eBay sellers and PayPal was essentially facilitating payments for eBay sellers and then very quickly they got you know uh there's a lot been written about this so I'm going to detail but basically they got to scale and banks and networks got really scared they're like what the hell is this like we don't know who you know who is actually receiving these payments or processing the payments it all is coming through this entity called PayPal a whole bunch of painful conversations were had and at the end of it uh rules were changed and this thing called the internet payment service provider was created it was basically invented more or less to allow PayPal to like continue to exist basically because like 
eventually, you know, the cooler heads prevailed and they realized, hey, wait a minute, this is all like card volume coming to the banks and the networks. That's a good thing. We want more of this, please. So let's just do this in a way where we all kind of like agree the way to do it in the right way. But then fast forward several years and Square essentially was trying to took this PayPal model and was like, what if we just did this, but not on the internet? What if we did it like in the real world? And at the end of it, basically the suggestion was, what if we just dropped the I off of internet payment service provider and just made it payment service provider and allowed people to aggregate payments online and offline? One thing I remember that was interesting at the time is when Square launched, people thought the innovative thing was the card swiper. And so Everybody else tried to card, copy the card swiper into it. Verifo and all these other guys launched their own card swiper, but they didn't have the instant underwriting. And the payfac piece is actually part of what made Square so special is once you got the swiper, you could basically immediately start charging. And I think a lot of people missed that at the time. Yeah, and I, I think that's been one of the big kind of innovative points about the payfac model is just making that signup process easier for the, the sub-merchants. You know, Peter was talking about the, the kind of old school process of going to your bank. And that was typically, you know, four or five plus page PDF where you needed to submit voided check, driver's license, previous processing statements, and, and just made it a very difficult and time consuming process to set up that account. And then with Square, you know, it was two, three minutes uh, on your phone and instantly able to accept payments. And that was just this revolutionary concept that made it easier to, to transact and, and do business. So to, to your point, you know, much more about that account signup process than necessarily anything to do with the little white dongles that everybody, you know, was fawning over. So if someone wanted to make their own payback, I guess Caleb is probably the best one to answer this. Like, what would they have to do? And is it interesting? Like, what are things you can do if you do have your own payback? Yeah, so I'd say that historically, it was a very difficult and arduous process to to become your own fully registered payment facilitator. And so historically that was a, you know, two year multi-million dollar process. Over the last few years, there have been new models that have popped up that are considered like payfac in a box providers. And those are our companies like Finax and Finisapt, Payrix, uh, Amaryllis, to, to name a few. And they've turned that kind of two year multi-million dollar process into about a, let's call it six month, couple hundred thousand dollar process to become that fully registered payfac, but you're still having to go through the process of, you know, registering with a bank, you're building out a payments team, but at least now you're able to turn to some of these providers that are able to give you a leg up on the technology side to, you know, utilize the systems that, that they've built out and not necessarily have to build all of the technology from scratch. And what about Tiled? Is that are you a payfac in a box, or is that a slightly different model? Yeah, so with Tilled, it's it's a bit different. So you know, our mission all along was to try and give software companies the ability to access the benefits of the payment facilitator model without actually having to go through the process of themselves becoming a fully registered payment facilitator. So with Tilled, we're able to launch software companies in about two weeks by coming to us and plugging into our APIs and we're handling all of those back office services for them. So we're managing all the underwriting, the chargebacks, the fraud monitoring, the compliance for them. So they're not having to build out their own, you know, payment scheme. We're, we're kind of the, you know, outsourced payments experts for our customers. Why are there so many reasons to be a payfac? Like why would a software company want to become a payfac? 
So when you look at the the places that most of these software companies start, they're starting with a company, you know, like a, a Stripe or, or a Braintree. And in the beginning, these software companies are really giving away the economics to these managed payback providers. That's typically what you're considering, you know, Stripe or, or Braintree or even a Square. And so, you know, as a software company, typically they just pass along the 2.9% and 30 cents that Stripe or Braintree is charging them, and they pass that along to their customer. And so by becoming that fully registered payment facilitator, you're getting into that payment flow and you're able to start monetizing the payments that are flowing through your software system. And so, you know, let's take a dental software company as an example that's signing up dentists. If they've got, you know, $100 million in payments flowing through their system, typically with Stripe or, or Braintree, they're probably not monetizing those payments at all. Whereas by coming a fully registered payment facilitator, you could add $800,000 or more in top line revenue to your business. So it's a, it's a pretty exciting you know, economic argument. Plus you're taking on the control of that underwriting process and you've got a more direct relationship uh, with your customer versus you know, allowing someone like Stripe to, to really be you know, more in control of your, your customers. Is that math roughly correct that you get basically 0.8% if you are on mass doing the payback yourself? It depends on the industry. And honestly, it depends on what you're able to justify as far as an in price point to, to your customers. But, you know, I'd say 80 basis points could, could be a good rule of thumb for a lot of industries where if you're charging 2.9% and 30 cents to process the payments, you could estimate that it's somewhere around 2.25% and let's say 15 cents to, to process the payments. And so the delta being, you know, somewhere around 80 basis points of margin uh, in total that's available if you're monetizing those payments and taking in that, that revenue. I would toss on one of the reasons to be a payfac, which is if, if you really care about your product experience, sometimes getting closer to the banks can help that. You know, if you're working directly with a Square or with a Stripe, um, both those companies are fantastic. Um, but you kind of have to play with the preset of rules that they have or work through larger game of telephone to work with their bank partners. Um, whereas if you're engaging directly, whether it's with, you know, Elevon or Payment Tech or, or Wells Fargo or someone like that, you know, you can work directly with those teams and you can talk about what are they doing with other people or bring good ideas to them. I guess there's one more dynamic to this. Like if you really want to get clever and if at scale, this is particularly interesting, you can actually, you know, take it a step further and optimize kind of your routing. So you could have, you know, use a multiple processor or multiple acquirer strategy. So if you're like a payment facilitator, you've got a relationship with more than one payment processor or payment acquirer, like acquiring bank. Let's say you could negotiate a special rate, right, on certain card types or certain payment types with a particular payment vendor. So like if you can, you know, negotiate a direct rate with Amex or a direct rate with, let's say, Chase Payment Tech for all Chase cards, right, and you route all Chase cards to Chase Payment Tech, they might be willing to cut you a special deal on that particular flavor of card. And then everything that's not Chase goes to whatever Wells, right? And they'll cut you a volume rate for those cards. And now you can actually get into kind of essentially payment optimization um, where you're routing intelligently payments to processors based on cost or based on you know, off rates or whatever you want to optimize for. I'd say another factor to, to throw in here is also the, the industry vertical you know, that, that you're working in, where if you're in the, the nonprofit space, as an example, the interchange rates are just going to be substantially lower than if you're working in healthcare or restaurant industry as, as examples. And so there's, there's all kinds of 
different flavors of, of interchange categories, depending on the vertical that, that you're working in. I feel like people used to say that Stripe is giving like a commodity product. It sounds like you guys might disagree that maybe there is enough of a network effect in underwriting merchants at scale. If you're just a simple, you know, e-commerce merchant and you're on Magento and you're just using the, the Stripe plugin, then that's a pretty simple kind of commoditized payment experience. But if you're, you know, an ISV or a software company that's needing to go integrate pretty complex payment flow, looking at, you know, tools like Stripe or, or Tilt relative to, you know, some of the options that are available from Chase, WorldPay, Tesis, First Data, it's a markedly different developer experience going and looking at modern set of APIs relative to something that was developed 20 years ago. And so I, I think there are parts of the, the payment space that have been commoditized, but there are also these places where if you're looking for complex payment needs or complex payment flows where you need to do you know, split payments or, or interesting settlement arrangements, then you have a lot less options and it's, it's much less of a, of a commodity offering. One, Payfax is kind of a scale game, right? It doesn't really make sense to become a Payfax unless you're doing pretty significant volumes, so 100 million plus-ish. And two, the more you scale, the, the, the finer grain control you might need or want. And actually, you know, some of these all-in-one approaches, like where the risk model is kind of like bundled with the rest of the services, that can be very effective for certain businesses. You can also lose your shirt if that particular fraud model or risk model doesn't work for the type of merchants that you're underwriting, right? So if you know the fraud engine is tuned for your particular sub-merchant category, that's great, more power to you. If it's not, uh, it could be very bad for you. What do you think the future is in Payfact? Like, are there interesting kind of new fintech ideas to be built here, or is it a fairly mature space? One of the trends that, that I think has been really uh, interesting in the payment space over the last decade has been the rise of all of these vertical-specific software solutions. And, and what I mean by vertical-specific software solutions are things like Toast and, and MindBody, where you know historically, if you were a, a gym or a fitness studio wanting to, to get a merchant account, you'd go to Bank of America or you'd go to Chase you know, to get that uh, account. And nowadays, a lot of these small businesses are turning to these vertical software solutions like a MindBody. And it really is in that vertical software space where I think the, the biggest impact of the, the whole payfac model is, is really starting to happen. And then the question becomes, you know, what's the best payments model to power these vertical software solutions? You know, in my mind, it's not the, the legacy paper-based <laughs> ISO uh, underwriting model that's taken, you know, three, five, seven days to get the merchant accounts approved. I really think the payfac model is you know a superior underwriting model when it's done properly to accelerate this distribution of, of payments out through these these vertical software solutions. The largest payfacts have historically had is a graduation issue where somebody gets really big and they have a CFO that comes in and says, we got to cut costs and I just got a sweetheart deal from Bank X. So we're going to go off of a Square, or off of a PayPal or off of a Stripe and go to Bank X. You're seeing eBay try and do this, right? They sold PayPal or they spun PayPal off but they're actually rebuilding PayPal, right? They're getting the payments licenses. They're building fraud and risks teams. They're working to rebuild a Payfac and potentially wallets kind of globally on top of eBay. There's a market to be served there. And I think that's where Tilled and, and um, Finix and some of these other companies you know, can add a lot of value because they can help with the graduation issue, right? If, if you want to go run your own Payfac, like it takes a lot 
of effort to go build those teams out. You need a lot of expertise that candidly just is not there. There are not enough experts on the market to run all the people that want to be their own payfax or want to be direct to the banks on this stuff. Uh, and that's where I think that's where the opportunity, if I'm building in the space now, that's the thing I'm focusing on. It's not just control of the underwriting experience, but it's also control of the data. That's a big consideration for you know these software platforms that are considering making that jump off of, of a Stripe or a Braintree is making sure that they have you know, ownership and access to, to their data, regardless of the path that they choose today and the paths that they may choose, you know, in the future, if they ever need to, to switch to a different processor. I have one more question around this thing you mentioned, Caleb, around like these B2B service, like the classic one being the dental software that's going to have thousands of dentists. I feel like there's tons of fintech companies selling <laughs> to those people because, you know, there's like, they can be a bank, they can be a lender, they can now be a payback as well. Uh, if you were one of these companies, would you consider doing your own payback as a high priority? So for most of these platforms, they have payments typically integrated into the into the platform. So if you're, you know, that that dental software company providing the services to the the dentist and you're handling the scheduling services and you're integrated into their health record system, the payments tends to be a pretty logical extension, but most of them are starting by just implementing Stripe right away. And the reason why they're doing that is because you can get Stripe up and running in, you know, two, three, four days, depending on the sophistication of what you're trying to build. And so they add payments as the super quick feature that customers request. They just have to get it implemented. And then typically what happens is a few years go by <laughs> and then they add, you know, 500 dentists on the platform. And then all of a sudden they have this meaningful payment volume that's flowing through the platform. And, you know, I forget if it was Matt or, or Peter that made the point, but it's typically someone in finance that says, hey guys, you know, we've got $100 million in payments flowing through the platform. And right now it's either a cost center or a pass-through. Like, why are we not generating any revenue on these payments that are flowing through the system? And I think once people are aware of the magnitude of the revenue impact that you can have by uh, implementing a payments monetization strategy, it becomes something that's pretty hard to ignore. I mean, specific example being a software company doing $100 million in payments that's got about $1.5 million in top-line revenue through their core software business. All of a sudden, implementing payments, you're talking about you know $750,000 or more in additional revenue flowing into that business. So you're talking about a 50% increase in top-line revenue. That's pretty exciting You know, if I'm the CEO of that vertical software company. Peter, um, when you look at what happens at the point of sale, what do you think the most important thing is in terms of for a fintech that's considering Payfac as a service with Tilled or one of the other vendors or being a Payfac themselves, what should they be thinking about in terms of, of managing the point of sale or the point of uh, service and their tokens and technology? You obviously want like a you know very frictionless experience for whoever your consumer is. I think we touched on this a little earlier in the conversation, but I think where this sector is headed, I would say, in my view, is like just having that customization ability around whatever is right for your particular industry or set of merchants, and like serving them. You know, whether it's a risk model or or plugging in your your chosen vendors. And I'll stop short of shilling hard on my company, but I mean, I think. Like the the owning your data, and I think Caleb said it as well. Like having control over your data 
and knowing that you can direct its flow, right? Whether it's payments data or PII data, like even onboarding your merchants, like do you actually have a relationship with your merchant or your sub-merchant? Or does that relationship actually exist with your vendor who owns all that KYC data and is holding it for you? Uh, or do you have access to it as and when you need it, right? Like I think those are some of the considerations that I would suggest people think about as they choose the optimal vendor for them. Um, but yeah, I mean, we can. it's like layers to that question, but it's a, it's a good one. Thank you.